0: Hello, world. Hello, everyone. I hope you're well. Welcome to A Pinch of Intelligence with Ryan. I'm your host, Ryan, the Ryan of all Ryan, the best Ryan, the right Ryan, all the Ryans. And I'm so glad that you're here listening and enjoying another episode with me. As always, this would not be possible without listenership. So thank you all for becoming such great supporters and giving me feedback. And of course, listening to the episodes. I will mention that we are eligible for monthly sustaining supporters. So at the bottom of the episode, there is a link where you can become a supporter of this podcast. We have three tiers. You can be a 99 cents a month supporter. You can be a 4.99 a month, or you can be lavish and be a 9.99 a month supporter. But of course, no pressure. I just appreciate you listening and growth is growth. So please share this out to anyone that you think would be interested in the podcast. And again, and I know I sound like a broken record. Thank you so much for listening so that I can continue doing this and interviewing people from really all across the world. All right. I believe this is episode 21 with the host of Generation Y. Thank you for being here, Aaron.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: You are so welcome. First things first, give us a little Wikipedia about yourself, sir.
1: Well, I was born just outside Detroit, Michigan, many decades ago. And um, then I moved to Missouri back in the end of 1992. And then somewhere around 1993, I met a guy at a restaurant named Justin, who became a very close friend of mine. And then years later, after making music together, we started a podcast. That was back in 2012, and he named it Generation Y.
0: Where did the inspiration or what what formulated the title Generation Y?
1: Well, that's kind of a funny story, because when he started asking me about how we could, I don't know, educate people about the jury system, about the court system, not that we were experts, but... He had just served on a murder trial, first degree murder trial, and he had learned things he didn't know. And he thought maybe a lot of people didn't know how things actually worked because they weren't like the movies. And I told him, well, we could do a podcast and we could talk about cases or things or whatever that we wanted to talk about. And he said, that would be perfect. And I said, well, when do you want to start? And he said, I want to start today. And I said, well, that's fine, but we're going to need a name. And he goes, well, how soon do you need a name? And I'm like, well, the sooner the better, because we're not going to release this under Untitled Prod- uh, Podcast Project. So he thought for maybe eight seconds and then said, Generation Y. And I knew right away why he chose that. It's because he wanted to question things.
0: Oh, okay. I like that. I Every time I've listened, I'm always curious. I'm like, where in the world did this name come from? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what I would ask you, right? I mean, the right Ryan.
0: Correct. Well, I started a TikTok during uh, the midst of COVID, and I was trying to come up with a name, and I wanted something short and memorable so people would always remember it. Right, Ryan. I mean, it's so quick. If you can't remember that, you need to just hang it up. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, I haven't forgotten it since I read your email.
0: Right. Right. See, and it even works there, right? For the right Ryan. So that's the only reason. It's not political. And I do get that sometimes. People are like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm I'm on the right too. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This has <laughs> nothing to do with politics. No, 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 no. I didn't even think of that when I put it together, which is funny because I'm totally the opposite, but that's another story for another day. But I I uh yeah, I mostly did it so that people would remember Easily,
1: Yeah, well, I remember. That's very good.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Have you always been interested in crime?
1: I've always been interested in crimes. It really started when I was a kid and I would watch programs like In Search Of or uh, America's Most Wanted or Unsolved Mysteries. And that, of course, led me to reading things because I've been a book reader since I was four and uh, or thereabouts. And so I would read books, especially ones my grandma would give to me because she read a lot of crime and romance, and because we know those go hand in hand. And um, she would send me books and say, I think you'd like this. And most of them were nonfiction. But of course, she also gave me fictional books, such as The Silence of the Lambs, which I mean, if you've read that and you enjoyed it or got something out of it, you're probably into reading about crime as well.
0: I have read that book, Thomas Harris.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed all of his books in that series, all of them.
0: I did too, but the ending of Hannibal was just a little off the, totally off the radar from what I thought was going to happen. But
1: This is great that you bring that up, because I have been a supporter of Thomas Harris's direction in that book ever since I read it, because I think that's something more people, if they gave it some thought, they could understand why he went that way, which is It was established early on how important Clarice's father was to her. Right. And losing him, it was as though she was always kind of looking for that father figure again. And Hannibal was that. Not the package you expected, but he's also a manipulator. So you could see how he was able to step in and say and do all the things. And even this promising FBI agent was taken in.
0: So you believe that they would have had a lasting relationship.
1: Well, I guess my point is, is we always say, well, this person's perfect. They're not going to make these mistakes. I know a person who was warning other people about a certain scam going around and said, be on the lookout for this. They fell for that scam this year. The very same person. And all I can tell you is, is, we are never perfect. We can't see everybody for who they are. We're going to make mistakes. And I think When you take someone who's been built up into the legend that they became, which is Hannibal Lecter, why couldn't he get past the defenses of Clary Starling?
0: Those are some mighty defenses to work through.
1: Yeah, but I think it's important to show that even even the hero of our story uh, can be beaten. Because there's no way we can look at that uh, romance or whatever it became and say that she really does understand what's going on there.
0: I don't know if it's because of the movie, but, and I've read the book. I just don't sense romance and sensuality there. I sense a um, sordid version of father and daughter with a hint of him being creepy.
1: (laughs) Yes, and I think that that probably is accurate, Ryan, but I do like that he didn't protect anyone to where they couldn't make those kinds of decisions. I, I f- it felt more real to me because too often we see movies or read books, and there are certain characters that cannot do wrong, and sure. you can see where they have things happen to them that aren't pleasant. But what about our decisions? I don't know about you, but I've had decisions I've regretted, and we just we have to learn from them. But. We also know we can be vulnerable. And I feel like they established early on how vulnerable she was when it came to her father and that hole in her life.
0: Yes, it was something. I mean, you could tell from the scene in the Tennessee penitentiary or pe- when I guess he was in a museum in Tennessee or whatever he was in. And they were discussing that. I mean, she looked like she was about ready to melt on the floor. She was so upset.
1: I trusted the author and I felt (laughs) like he did the right things because I wanted to be surprised because I too was surprised. That was a surprise of
0: surprises.
1: Yes. And why not be surprised? Haven't you ever watched sequels and you thought, man, I knew that was going right from the beginning? Yeah. And they, they couldn't really give you that book in a movie because the director and the author, and then of course the original star, They were all at odds. So it wasn't like the director was working from the author's script.
0: Right. I know Jonathan Demme and Jodie Foster. And yeah, they, they were like, we don't want any part of this.
1: It's too bad, I think. But, um, I know Ridley Scott made, uh, Hannibal. Did he not?
0: Yes, he did.
1: He's a fantastic director.
0: I, I really liked Hannibal. Um, I've watched it umpteen times, but with the Hannibal movie, When the scene with Ray Liotta in the brain, I thought that just made the entire film lose its credibility to a degree. Because I just thought that, not that it didn't happen, it did happen, but they just overdid it.
1: 100% agree with you. Because when I watched it, it gave me the same feeling I have during most films that I've seen by a certain director, where I feel like they're chewing it up too much
0: yeah I mean it almost became like a it almost felt like um like a scary scary movie four or something. It was silly.
1: It started to feel that way because it went on for too long they They should have just showed us panned in and then moved around a little bit and then maybe had Hannibal say something and then moved on it it just it seemed to last way too long,
0: right. just show them taking his baseball cap off using that tool. And maybe even show something in the skillet. We get the point. And that's one of the reasons I like Silence of the Lambs is they didn't overdo the big I don't even know if you use Elephant in the Room's the right analogy, but you know, he's a cannibal, but they didn't make it silly. Now
1: that movie is one of the tightest films I've seen where when you watch it, you can't think of anything you would change or move or remove.
0: No, you're you're hundred percent correct. Absolutely. Love those movies. Love those books. Yes. But I will say in Hannibal, I guess we're never going to get closure on the movie side of it because he's going to some Asian country. And I guess he's going to just maybe he's going to live in Hong Kong.
1: Yeah, there's no telling. I I feel like because of the changes they made, there's no way to give us a satisfactory ending to the story.
0: I believe everyone in the plane was Asian, of Asian descent. I'm almost positive at the very end of the movie. You have been a longtime crime enthusiast.
1: Well, it's always fascinated me because of the questions. You wonder, how did this person become a victim? How did this person become a killer? Why did this person get locked up for 30 years before being exonerated or How did this person get put to death? And then later we found out that they had nothing to do with the crime they were convicted of. I mean, there are so many angles and questions that to me, I can't watch these shows about the masked singer, no offense, or uh, about people in a great race or anything like that. These are the things that are so real and so important to me that it's crime that I focus on.
0: Right. It's not scripted or it's not you know, with the producer and we, we say that line five times in a row to get it correct.
1: Right. And there's, it's just, whatever com- is compelling to you. Uh, those other things are fantastic for some people and maybe even for you, I don't know, but they are just things, if I'm going to take the time and watch something, um, I want to feel like I understand our system better, understand how things went right or wrong better, because those are things I try to pass along when I'm recording with Justin, I try to say, you know I noticed that they could have easily focused on this one suspect because it seemed like they were heading the right direction, but they didn't stop looking and then they found a better suspect who ended up being the one being the killer, and that's what we need to promote is promote detectives who work from the point of view of we need to cover all of our bases and really find real justice, not just find." what they call justice by locking onto someone and getting them through the court system and convicted. We want to know.
0: Right. We have a criminal justice program at our high school. And one of the criminal justice instructors is a former Indianapolis homicide uh, detective. And she always says, you know, number one thing is I had to always remember, keep an open mind about everything. Don't make any assumptions whatsoever. Come to the crime scene And let the evidence, you know, and take you where you go. Don't let your bias and so on interfere.
1: Yeah, I think that's brilliant because I worry that too many detectives who have been in cases that I've covered, what they want to do is say, I knew, I figured it out. But if they just let the evidence, like what you just said, show them the way. Wow. You talk about powerful because by the time you get into a courtroom, you'll have plenty of ammo to fire across that courtroom to let the jury know what's going on. You you can't just say this witness said this about that person. They never left their house. They, they seem suspicious. No. Was there blood found? Was, was there any kind of prints found? We want to know that stuff. Show us what proves they were involved. And if you can do that, you don't have to convince us. You showed us your cards and they made sense to us.
0: Right. And of course the most, the most neutral witness of all surveillance.
1: (laughs) Oh, when people are found on camera. Right. Yeah. When they say, Oh, I wasn't there. I'm sure you followed the Murdoch case, right? Oh yes. And that when he had to admit in court that he was there at the stables at the time game over, I can't believe everybody kept saying, Oh, it's not over yet. No, that was it (laughs) because if it weren't for that footage, then you couldn't say definitively he was there. right? You couldn't, but that put him there.
0: Yeah, when I was watching that trial, and that happened at the beginning of the trial. I mean, it wasn't something that was known at all. I mean, that was a bombshell. And I mean, they I don't see how his defense lawyers didn't throw up the white flag. Of course, it's their client, and they have to work for him. But I think they knew that we're going to throw the Hail Mary of Hail Marys.
1: Yeah, they I think the the biggest issue they had was he was an attorney and he felt very confident, even if he had to say that he that he could somehow talk and convince people he was not the killer.
0: From what I've read, a lot of people said that it was a terrible decision to put him on the stand.
1: But he believed in himself.
0: I think probably after the the whor- the dog kennels, I think he. I mean, what what what's it going to hurt?
1: Well, yeah, once you already put him uh, up there and he has to answer that, uh, yeah, it really isn't going to hurt him anymore. That was devastating, though. When I heard him admit that he was there, I I didn't know that he was going to do that. I really didn't, because I thought there's always that chance that he'll deny it. But as someone else said, who else sounds like Alec Murdoch?
0: Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
1: I dare say, if anyone that listens to either yourself or myself heard one of us on a recording, they'd probably know who it was.
0: Right. He was destined for prison.
1: Yeah. All we can say is if you're listening to this right now and you have not followed or watched or heard anything about Alec Murdoch, you better get caught up because this is the kind of drama and intrigue and criminal actions that you you just can't make up this isn't in a book this is real life
0: stranger than fiction yes so on your podcast what is an episode a case a topic a person that has stuck with you the most that you still think about you know when you're lying in bed or driving the car what is a case that just sticks with you then you just want to know what happened and you don't know?
1: Well, Kyron Horman comes to mind because he was a young boy that uh, was supposedly dropped off at school by his stepmother, and yet the teachers reported that he never showed up. And when they looked into the whereabouts of his stepmother that day, and they compared you know, her answers to her cell phone hitting different towers, they found out that she was in a completely different part of town that day than she reported. And so there has been, I don't know, just years of, you could say, stalking against her because she's attempted to change her name and she's tried to move. And yet there are people who want justice for Kyron who are going to be there to remind her that she can't get away with this, even though uh, detectives say they don't have enough to move on anyone. And so it's been a very tough case because on one hand, you could say that the stepmother She's not been convicted of anything. You can say she looks suspicious, but you can't say that it's justified really to have her hunted down like this and harassed. But on the other hand, she seems to have not been very forthcoming with what, went, with what happened that day with Kyron. And so that shows you this great gray area that exists in crime where you might not have the answers you need. And you may not be able to get the evidence you need. So all you have are theories to work with.
0: Right. Did she take a polygraph?
1: I don't recall. Um, I just remember that she was with a friend and that she said that she went to some part of town that day and was doing this or that. And then when they checked where her cell phone had been going, they found that she was on the opposite side of town. And she was actually near a body of water.
0: Did she explain that during interrogation?
1: No, I don't think that she's ever satisfactorily uh, responded. And so there's always been this question of what really happened. But um, yeah, things were not good, I believe. And so there's always that question of when someone's going through a really difficult relationship, do they take their issues out on a vulnerable family member? That's been one of the questions in the case, and I'm not saying she did it. We don't have that proof, but that's one of the theories going on is that because she was very disgruntled or upset that maybe she did something to Kyron, but we'll never know uh, because Chiron has never been located.
0: It's hard to conduct a trial without a body.
1: It is, and you would need more evidence than see, and this is another important thing that happens when you have a podcast about crime is you can say, That's not enough evidence. She was the last one to be seen with him. And then she says she dropped him off, but there's no evidence of that. And then some people would say, well, that's enough for me. Well, it isn't for me. I'm going to need something more. And I want justice for Kyron and his family as well. But we can't just simply throw people away uh, because it fits our theory. We need some evidence.
0: Do they have camera footage of him being dropped off at school?
1: Well, this would take a whole podcast to cover all all the aspects of Kyron's case, but let me put it this way, there isn't concrete proof to show because um it was kind of as though he was dropped off later in the day. And so, you know, when he supposedly was supposed to go to his classroom, well, he never made it there. And you can say, well, she said she dropped him off and he went down the hallway and then headed toward his right. classroom. Well, how do you not get to your classroom if you're walking down the hall? So that, that leads us to ask, well, if it wasn't her, who was it? We'd have to then accept that he's somehow still in that school, but they've checked the school and, uh, there are cases where people have gone into buildings and not come out and they don't know how they aren't there.
0: So that is the case that often circulates through your mind.
1: That's one of them. There are many because when you covered cases for years, there are cases where you hear from people that are involved. You hear from family members, you hear from friends, you hear from people who are passionate about these cases. They'll write in and you read their messages. And then, you know, sometimes things just hit you a certain way. When you hear from, say, a mother of someone who you've covered and she's telling you, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time and and giving this some coverage. Um, it hits a little harder because now they're writing to you. They're contacting you.
0: You're a vehicle for them to get the story out. And sometimes getting media attention can be tough. You know, when I had um, Marissa, the host of The Vanished, you know, she talked about a lot of times the media, they want to have on their opening story for the 11 o'clock news, a quote unquote, beautiful young lady it's sensationalized. I don't know. That's, you know, you may not agree with that, but that was something that she did kind of assert.
1: It's not wrong. Um, because when you're putting together something for the media, say the news, they're trying to sell themselves all the time. And that's a tough thing for Justin and I, because we're not very good at selling ourselves. When we cover cases, we don't think, oh, is this some lovely young woman? We can put her picture everywhere and everybody's going to want to hear about what happened to her. We literally look into the stories and find the ones that we feel we should be talking about. And so everything's on the plate.
0: I think that shows integrity and people will stick around the long run for that. That's something that I respect highly rather than a 30-second soundbite.
1: Well, you try and you try to... um, make it worth the people's while to listen. Like, why do they listen to Generation Y? I'd say one of the primary reasons people listen to Generation Y is because we try to get across how important justice is. And sometimes the only justice you get is fairness. You hope for fairness. You hope that the detectives working the case are doing their best. They try. You hope that the prosecutor, if they're taking the case to court, have done their best and that they're being true um you hope for it all along the way you hope that the the perpetrators of the crimes that they're making mistakes you know uh in this world we don't get much um beyond hopefully we have a friend we have loved ones we have a pet that we love but when it comes down to it we're going to have things happen that we didn't plan for that we didn't hope for like crimes and so if we have justice it feels like this world Has people who care, people that don't know you have chipped in time and effort and tried to make things right for you. That's what we're hoping for—to
0: do what's right without needing tons of applause. You're just doing it because you care about this person's life. And
1: well, and it's also that back in the day, you probably have heard of the Green River Killer. How does a killer kill dozens and dozens of women? Well, we've since found out that there used to be crimes and may still be where detectives might think well but they were in a risky lifestyle.
0: Yeah, I've seen so many cases, read so many cases where they go after sex workers and that's, you know, not not to jump from one thing to another, but from my understanding, Jeffrey Dahmer was well aware of that when he went after the population he went after. He even lived there. He like he stuck out like a sore thumb.
1: Yes, it's really unfortunate. And that's where we as podcasters can make statements such as everyone matters or there is no okay crime, meaning, oh, well, they killed a black woman or they killed um, a sex worker or what have you. And some people will say, well, they're living a risky lifestyle or they lived in a risky part of town or Those are just excuses to make it okay for some people to be harmed, and we're not okay with that because everyone has to be looked out after because if they're not, then this society is only justice for some, not justice for all. And I don't like that idea because what's going to change in the future? If we want things to get better, we have to help everybody out. And If you're not looking out for everybody, then you're just looking out for what? A segment of the population and then why why does it matter then?
0: And when I had Danny Collins on my podcast, I don't know if you caught that caught that one, but he was incarcerated and now his main his main mission is prison reform. But in the course of that interview, he talked about his addiction and how, you know, a lot of people said, Oh well, he's just an addict, you know, he's a lost cause. And addict or not, you still are someone's son, someone's father, someone's friend, and how do you know they're not going to turn their life around one day? And moreover, I mentioned this in Danny's interview, people should not be too high and mighty because you never know when you might end up in a situation you never dreamed you'd be in. You're an addict. You have a spouse who's an addict that you're trying to help who's fallen into hard times and can't be accounted for. So, you know, don't get on your high horse because you never know what situation you might end up one end up in one day and then you'll really really regret it.
1: Yeah, and who are you going to get help from if you've ostracized some people uh and they're the people who are there to help at the time?
0: Exactly. That will
1: be very awkward.
0: Also, with your podcast What has been something that chilled you to the bone?
1: Well, you've heard of the Golden State Killer. Have you ever heard audio left by the Golden State Killer? No. The Golden State Killer. Victims or victims' families. The
0: older man who was um, caught because of, you know, like 23andMe.
1: Familial DNA, Joseph D'Angelo. He committed crimes many years ago. He was probably under this idea that he was never going to be caught. In fact, when we covered that case, I said on the episode, uh, if I recall correctly, I didn't think he would ever be caught.
0: No, I have not heard those audio um, messages.
1: We played one on the episode, and I can tell you, I got no less than probably 25, 30 messages of people saying, I have broken my headphones or my earbuds by throwing them across the room after hearing what he said, because he would taunt people. He would call and leave messages or call and taunt people while he was, you know, this was back in the day before he was caught. Okay. There were many years that went by before he was caught. He had kind of faded away. But in the 80s, he made some calls and he taunted people. Yeah, that's twisted. And he had access, when he was an active predator, there was a young girl that looked out her window, you know, she's in bed or whatever, and she saw someone's head lower into the frame. Ugh. He would crawl around on rooftops. He would find a way into your home. And so it was, to me, one of the scariest predators ever because of the way he operated. And the way he snuck around, people would suddenly see him in their house. They would wake up to him. I don't know if you're familiar with all the case details, but he would tie up the guy that lived there. And then he would put plates and cups on him. And then he would assault the woman. And before doing so, he'd say, if I hear any of those plates jiggle or anything, you're both dead. And so you didn't know if he was going to kill you or just assault you.
0: Well, I'm glad he's locked up. What has been something that you have covered that you are just shocked the person's not in jail?
1: Well, in some ways, I think Casey Anthony, because I understand the arguments against convicting her. But I also felt like they could have got her on something. Um, Because I feel like there's a responsibility of a parent. And the fact that she just never called in that her daughter was missing. And wouldn't answer questions. I, I I feel like there's a responsibility there. And then when we find out that your daughter's dead, and you never did anything to uh, try and find her or to help or to help authorities, it just seems like there's something there. But that's just that part of me as a parent that says, how could you? How could you act that way? How could you blame? the crime on someone who didn't exist. I mean, she made up somebody and said, this person took my daughter, but I never got the feeling she was actually worried. And then of course you find out she lied and she, and she's just free. It's not satisfying. And that's something that we'll find continues has been, and will be in our society that, We can't solve all the crimes, and some will seem especially painful.
0: Sometimes I think this when I watch true crime. I find myself watching, I don't want to say for entertainment value, but, oh, I'm going to watch season two of um, See No Evil. And we just watch. Do you feel that, in a way, people become desensitized to violence and forget that these are real families and you are just watching it because pique their curiosity.
1: I absolutely think that happens because the world takes all kinds. And you could ask, I don't know, 30 different people why they tune into a football game or to a TV show or what have you, and you might get different answers.
0: Because sometimes when I watch true crime, which is fairly often, I think you know, I'm sitting here watching stories about people who were, you know, harmed and this is a genre on television. It's just sometimes if I take a real step back, sometimes it still feels a little strange.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's bad to question why you watch certain things. I think anytime you do any uh, self-assessment,
0: why do you think people are so intrigued by true crime?
1: I believe it's because they want answers. I think at our heart we're all like that. We want answers. You know, if you were in a relationship and suddenly you were dumped and you weren't told why the relationship was over, you'd want to know. Why someone's family member went missing, they'd like to know. They might have their own biases. They'd say, oh, well, they wouldn't do this and they wouldn't do that, but they don't really know. And sometimes when we find out the truth later, it's surprising. So there's the aspect of mystery. There's also the need to know why. And then how did they find out? Or what have they tried? What avenues did they go down to try and figure out what happened here? And um, I think our minds are always trying to figure things out. That's why we have pareidolia. You look up at the sky and you see clouds and you suddenly see a rhinoceros and a flag, even though that's not what's really there.
0: I like that correlation. Do you have so many people wanting you to cover their story that you never run low on? people who are trying to find justice for their loved one. Like are you just swamped with requests?
1: I would say I am, but it's not always so easy to say yes, we'll cover that. Yes, we'll cover that because we get a lot of cases that haven't gone through the court system. So now we're having to talk about people who have not even been arrested. We're having we'd have to talk about um things that we're getting only by way of the family. So when you don't have enough records and you don't have enough evidence, it becomes difficult. And so there are cases that even though I wish I could help out, I just can't cover because now I'm relying solely on the family and there are problems with that because sometimes families will not tell you everything. We've gotten messages from families about cases we know about, and we have transcripts you know, from police records, from courts, and they're trying to tell us something different than what went down on the record. And, and I can't make sense of the two. And I think, well, you know, they have their own mission here. And I accept that. But I I can't just give them what they want to. Sometimes you have to say, things. you know, maybe someone didn't die because they were murdered. Maybe they had a medical issue. That's something that's happened on a couple of our episodes. Where the family would tell you, no, th- those were murders, but we don't think so based on the evidence, based on the science.
0: I know the families. I'm sure you've had some heartfelt moments that you'll never forget with some of these families.
1: Absolutely. And it's they stick with you, these moments.
0: Do you ever have cases where you're like, oh my gosh, this is just bringing me down?
1: Any one of them can bring you down in some way or another. Um. But what I try to think of is I also have other things that I do. So I put in the work to try and produce these episodes, to get these cases covered. But I also have a family and I also have things I do outside of the podcast, such as laundry. Um, I watch hockey. I love listening to music. I enjoy reading. Um, My life is pretty full. So even though there are cases that get in my head and kind of live there a long time,
0: You have a healthy balance.
1: You have to have a healthy balance. The healthier your balance, the easier it is for you to traverse these areas. And I'm sure you you could probably speak to that. The more balanced you are, the better you can roll with the things that happen.
0: Absolutely. I 100% agree. Do you ever have a hard time covering cases that involve children? Because a lot of people are like, that's just so tough to cover because these are just the most innocent people that, you know, kids that never done anything wrong. Do you ever have do you ever have a hard time covering cases with children? Yes. I would too.
1: There are times where I haven't covered cases because of that. I we still cover cases involving children, but um there there are certain kinds of cases that we try to steer away from just because I don't know why we're covering them. So to give you an example, Leonard Lake I don't know if you've heard of that case. I have not. He and his buddy, his name is Ng, I believe. They were some of the most awful people you can imagine. And they tortured their victims before murdering them. And they did this to all kinds of people. They didn't care. Um, th- they were depraved. And so if I were to cover their case, right. I just don't know why I'm covering it. Because it's just brutal. And there's no good ending there. There's no, there's no ending to that case where you can say, wow, check this out. This is great. No, it's a horrible ending too. And it feels like no justice. And so it's not just the kids. Sometimes it's it has to do with cases where I feel like I don't have a message here. And if I don't have a message, then I probably shouldn't cover it.
0: You don't want to have episodes where it's the shock value.
1: I have no interest in that. I mean, there are podcasts out there doing that, and I'm just not someone who will do that.
0: You're trying to bring information and promote, you know, equal justice under the law. You're not trying to make, you know, a 45 minute version of the next Saw movie. Totally. That's get just it. not who I am. I totally get it. Well, my last question here for you, let's say in 20 years and you look back and someone says, What did you hope to accomplish with Generation Y? What would you say, Aaron?
1: What we hope to accomplish is for people to get the message we're putting out there. That it's not about this is the way the system is. It's how do we want to see the system? And we hope that people will listen and understand what that message is about. And listen because they want the same things that we want. So it would be a fair and equal system. It would mean that we don't just throw people away because, well, we solved the case. No, we want people to be put away because they're deserving of it. They committed the crimes. I want the evidence. I don't want to know that you got a conviction because you convinced the jury without evidence. I mean, it used to be the case people could just say, well, yeah, so-and-so saw that guy over there next to that lady and saw him hit her. Well, Now we know that people aren't very good at identifying exactly who they're seeing, especially when they don't know who they are to begin with. I mean, you don't know what you're seeing. You don't know who you're seeing. We've had people convicted like in the picking cotton cases, it's known someone who happens to look similar to the perpetrator and then they spend 10 years in prison. We just want everyone to consider the system that we're all under find the problems. Let's see what we can do to fix them. And the only way to get there is to criticize. I, we've gotten emails and messages. People don't like the criticisms, but we think they're fair because you can't just assume that your system's perfect. I mean, if if banks worked that way, they'd all have no money left because they the hackers would have gotten in and, and taken everything. So you always have to reassess, and improve. That's our message to the system.
0: And I think that's something that everyone should be able to support. If I, God forbid, ever am in court, I want to sit there with my lawyer and look over at that jury and know they are making a decision based on, as you said, evidence, not emotion, and that I'm going to get a fair trial. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I want to just applaud you on your podcast because it is hard work, and you guys have been going now for 11 years, and congratulations on that. That is really an accomplishment. I want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, This has been quite a quite a roller coaster of an episode and that's what i expected but i loved listening and i've definitely learned some lessons but thank you all so much for listening and again if you would like to become a sustaining supporter there is a link at the bottom of the episode thank you for listening we will see you next week and as always be a decent human being bye-bye